and a short one-act play by legendary playwright Edward Albee. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Garnet Health Medical Center, Catskills. Garnet Health, going above and beyond to elevate care every day for every person. Learn more at garnethealth.org. Exceptional lives here. And from the Cooperage Project in Honesdale, dedicated to building community through performance, learning, markets, and good times. Thecooperageproject.org. And from listeners like you who donate at wjffradio.org. Welcome to the local edition. We got news and information to keep you connected to the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. And we'll also be connecting with election, connecting with elections, election connection here on Radio Catskills Local Edition. Checking in with candidate. Assemblywoman Aileen Gunther in the second half of the program. But first on a Thursday, we check in with Wayne County, find out what's going on. And one of the things that are happening in Wayne County is that the county's uh, preparing to receive an ECHO unit. And ECHO is all capital letters, means it stands for something. What it stands for is Elder Cottage Housing Opportunity and that's thanks to a state grant that has another acronym that uh, I'm not going to say on air. But maybe our guests will help us figure out the acronyms uh, on the phone right now to talk about the collaboration and the grant. It's Mary Ursick, and, uh, and, who's the Area Agency on Aging Director, and Mary Endrasik, Neighbors Working Aging in Place Coordinator. Welcome to both of uh, you to the airways. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. So uh, what is an ECHO unit apart from an elder cottage housing opportunity? Is it a thing or is it an opportunity? It's a thing. Um, so uh, thank you for, for having us. This is Mary Andrusik, um, the uh, aging in place manager over at NeighborWorks Northeastern Pennsylvania. So as you mentioned, the ECHO unit is the elder cottage housing opportunity uh, unit. And so this is a small structure um, that is provided to an older adult or um, to older adults uh, to be able to set that unit on a friend or loved one's property so that they can um, continue having their independence while accessing caregiving um, opportunities from the friend or family member. <clears throat> we are working with Johnson College and Simplex Homes to build these units. The Johnson College students actually did the full design um, of the unit for us to be able to um, build this. And um, each semester will be, uh, as long as we continue to get the, uh, the FAIR grant, from the Pennsylvania Housing Finance um, Agency. So as long as we continue to do that, the uh, Johnson College has agreed to um, assist us in building the units and as has Simplex. So the students build and Simplex provides materials, space, and um, assistance in placing the unit. Okay. And so now... How how did the Area Agency on Aging uh, get into this partnership with NeighborWorks? 
Uh, well, um, this is the other Mary, Mary Urshik from the Aging Office. I'll, I'll just say that we've been working with NeighborWorks for um, a little while now, and we started our partnership with the Aging in Place program to help with home modifications. And then when the opportunity for the ECHO project came, I know that we needed to have a housing partner, and the NeighborWorks agency agreed to be the housing partner with us. And it's been a nice partnership because the Area Agency on Aging, one of our goals is to help older adults maintain independence in the community. So both of these projects, whether it's the home modification project or whether it's um, this ECHO project, both of those kind of meet the, our goal and our mission of helping older adults stay independent in the community um, and to be safe. Um, so, this, you know, this is very nice because in this way, the older adult living in the ECHO will be close by to a, an informal support person, but they'll also have some independence. Um, so, it, you know, it kind of fits nicely in with our mission. That's great. And now, um, how do you figure out who participates in this program? Um, so any older adult age 60 and above um, are is eligible to apply for the unit as long as they are 80% area median income um, and identify, you know, the want and need to reside next to a loved one. Um, and so we do have applications are currently um, out now. You can get them on NeighborWorks website at www.nwnepa.org, or you can pick one up at the Wayne County Area Agency on Aging Office. Um, and these applications, once they are completed, um, they are reviewed by a selection committee that are identified by myself and, and Mary. Um, and so these are individuals within the Area Agency on Aging, the county, um, another uh, social service partner, and an older adult. And so through that selection committee, they, uh, using a tiered um, rubric, will identify the eligible applicants in a ranking order. And so once the um, once the person is identified, you know, we reach out, we go out and we look at the property and make sure that the property fits the needs and the ability to host the unit. Have you identified people? Uh, are there are there people that are already expressing interest in this sort of thing? Um, I know we have at NeighborWorks have gotten a few calls. We also have a partnership and this was our first partnership on the ECHO program with Lackawanna County Area Agency on Aging. And so when that program was announced and we started accepting applications last year for round for phase two, um, and this is currently phase three of the program, uh, we did express some, there was some interest from residents in Wayne County. So we do have a handful of individuals who have expressed interest. Um, Mayor, I don't know if anyone's called the aging office yet. We did just announce it on Monday. So, um, Yeah, like Mary said, we just announced it this week, but we've already had inquiries and people asking about it. I think we're, we're getting a good response for it. Um, but, you know, we're looking for the, um, you know, we have one unit right now and we're hoping to find that right um, situation for the unit, but we've already gotten quite a few responses and our applications will be open through 
the end of this month, so through October 31st. And then, like Mary was saying, in um, November, hopefully we'll be starting the selection committee meetings to determine who best fits the, the need for this unit. So that's kind of the timeline for, for this situation. And then the unit itself is being built now and will be ready for placement, we hope, sometime in the spring, but that's going to be also dependent on the weather. But, yeah, we've already gotten quite a, um, quite a few people calling and asking questions about it and um, wanting more information and wanting to apply for the program. Wow, well, that's Great. that's good to that's got to be good for you to know that you're on the right track then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, and uh, forgive me if you mentioned this and I missed it, but there are there are there restrictions on placing uh, these echo units. The only restriction on placing the echo unit is the property has to be at minimum um, one and a quarter acres so that it can support the size of the units. Um, other than that, um, as long as the applic- the host property is located in Wayne County, um, the mun- municipality is is irrelevant um, to the application process and the eligibility. Um, we will once identified uh, which municipality is, we'll then start working with their zoning board. Right. Um, you know, before we go, we don't always get to check in with the uh, area agency on uh, aging. So, Mary Urchik, if if you uh, could just take a moment, if there's anything that you've got coming up uh, that you've done recently that you want to tell us about or anything you've got coming up that you want folks to know about, um, I, I'd, I'd love to hear that from you. Um, well, we have a lot of um, programs going on in our senior center right now. Open enrollment for Medicare is starting October 17th. So we do have trained counselors for um, people who are um, just becoming eligible for Medicare or if you need assistance with choosing your drug plan through Medicare. So we're um, we're asking people to call our office at 570-253-4262 to um, set up an appointment with um, a trained Medicare counselor um, if you need assistance in that area. And we do have a lot of events going on in the senior centers right now. We have a Walk with Ease program going on in the Holmesdale Senior Center. And we're, you know, all three of our senior centers in Holmesdale, Hamlin, and Holly are open. We have daily lunch. Uh, we ha- still have our drive through meals available at all three senior centers. And we do have um, dancing, cards, bingo. Um, so, you know, we have something for everyone, I think, at the senior centers. And where can people go to find out more information? Um, well, you can um, visit our web, um, website. You would go to waynecountypa.gov and choose um, the human services link. And then from there, you'll see the Area Agency on Aging. And that kind of gives a, a good um, a good taste of what's going on. But also a really good thing to do is to sign up for our newsletter. So you would, again, you'd call 570-253-4262 and ask to be added to our newsletter mailing list. And that will give you, you know, each month what programs are going on as well as the daily menus. Okay. If you, um, if all, you don't mind, just give that phone number one. Okay. It broke up. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, yes, of course. 570-253-4262. And I was just going to mention our food is um, diabetic friendly and low sodium. Okay. That's great. Well, I want to thank you both for, so much for taking the time uh, to talk to us this evening, and the best of luck on the this Echo Project. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Okay, again, we were just talking to Mary Ersick, uh, Area Agency on Aging Director, and uh, Mary Endrasik, Neighbor Works Aging in Place Coordinator. This is the local edition. We're going to take a break and we come back. Election coverage. You're listening to the local edition. Winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Radio Catskill and Catskill Brewery present Apple Pie Palooza, Saturday, October 8th. 5 to 9 p.m. at Catskill Brewery in Livingston Manor. Eat pie, win pie, bring home pie. Enter the Apple Pie Baking Contest at WJFFRadio.org. Plus, dancing in the tent with WJFF's DJs, Jason Tuga, Nick Forte, and me, Cassie. Apple Pie Palooza, October 8th, benefiting Radio Catskill. On air, online, on your smartphone, and on your smart speaker. Radio Catskill, keeping you connected. Election season is here, and here on Radio Catskill, the local edition is keeping you connected with issues and the candidates before you head to the polls in just uh, just over a month on November 8th. Unless you're doing early voting or mail-in ballots. All month long, we're conducting interviews with the candidates tonight. We're kicking it off with a race for New York's 100th Assembly District. Democrat incumbent Assemblywoman Aileen Gunther is facing off with Republican challenger Lisa LeBou. Radio Catskills' Patricio Rabio had a chance to speak to Aileen about the upcoming election, bail reform, and why voters should vote for her this election. Aileen Gunther, Assemblywoman for the 100th District, welcome back to the program. You're running for re-election, and here in Sullivan County, healthcare is one of the biggest issues we have here. We're second to last in the health rankings, and we have local hospitals that seem to be sort of cutting services instead of expanding them. And, you know, there was a rumor just recently that that Garnett Health care, uh, Garnett Health was going to close. Uh, but we found out that wasn't true. Well, you found out that it was not true because I called immediately. I received a call from one of my constituents and I called uh, Jerry Dunlevy and I said, this is what's going on. And it's just not, you know, it, it's first of all, if it's true, it's terrible. And secondly, can you please clear it up if it's not true? And I've been fighting all along to make sure that, you know, we keep the doors of our hospital open. We're 61 out of 62, which is an awful ranking. And, you know, we have an increased population uh, since two years ago. Uh, you know, they attempted to also, they downsized, but to take away the Department of Health. And I fought against that. We have a small office in Liberty, which I'm not happy about. But I am happy at least something's there. You know, we open up pools in the summertime. We have an increased population and they deserve the appropriate health care. And, you know, to transport someone from Sullivan County to Orange County is 30, 35 minutes. God help us in the, in the summertime. The traffic is terrible and it's a matter of life and death. 
If elected, what would you do to help secure healthcare for our area and secure that healthcare that we need? Since, like I said, we're second to last in health rankings. My advocacy has helped thus far. You know, I do have um, some seniority in the New York State Assembly. I am on the health committee, and I'll continue to lobby to make sure these stays o- that these areas stay open and and available to our community. You know, many people do not have cars, can't afford a bus trip down to Middletown. They just can't do it. And so I'll continue doing what I do best, which is making sure I take care of the people in Sullivan County. And I do it in a very good way. You know, I have a a strong history of advocating, bringing our taxpayer money back. I work each and every day. There's not a day that I'm not out there serving our community. I'm a nurse. And I serve the community, our community that way, and I certainly serve it now. And I'm, you know, we're, and I have a staff that is just incredible, and they care about their community, and they're part of the community. And it's also Walkill and Middletown, so we're all over the place. And you know, bringing back taxpayer money, I've done a, a phenomenal job with that capital money. If you look at every year that we've done the Golden Feather and how that has changed the face of our community by bringing that money back. And it is taxpayer money, but I fight tooth and nail to get it back here. I wanted to see what are your thoughts on the recent changes on farm workers getting overtime? Farm workers received a victory, having their threshold for overtime pay lowered to 40 hours instead of 60, which will happen over the next 10 years. Many critics are citing that this would hurt the farm, making it more difficult to keep their doors open. What are your thoughts on this recent change? Well, I, I think, number one, I farmers are really struggling at this point, and there's no doubt about it. On the other side of the equation is that farm workers are vital to these farms and to all of us that um, benefit from the products that come out of farms, whether it's milk at Dave Weiss's or, you know, vegetables from other farms. We have a lot of small farms and across the state. So there has to be a balance. Number one, the people that own the farms can't suffer. It's very difficult as is. There's a cost of for energy has risen tremendously. So I think the state, rather than investing in large businesses that have tons of money, need to invest in these farms, need to help them out with financially. And they certainly do. It's going, you know, people deserve a living wage. And yet these farmers deserve some help from our New York state government. And I'm hoping Kathy Hochul will take a look at this issue because it is a problem. You know, people need to need housing and food and as well as we need to keep these farms running. So there's got to be a balance. And in the agricultural committee, you know, the fellow that uh, represents it in, um, in the New York State Assembly is from Long Island. And a lot of times I don't think they know about the struggle. So I would continue to advocate for both sides. So you're understanding both sides of the issue and you're looking to so sort of uh, help strike a, a, a healthy balance between those two issues of farm workers having the, the right to pay if they have uh, they work overtime and yet still having, you know, farms not shut down. Absolutely. We don't want these farms to close. You know, it, you know, it, um, the cost of fuel. Think about what's happened over the pandemic. I mean, they're really struggling. And yet. We want people to have a living wage. It makes them independent. So I think New York State has to invest more in our agricultural community, giving them, you know, they give big business a lot of incentives. They need to give farms the same thing. And that will create a better environment.
and a workable environment. The bail reform law is a hot topic here in Sullivan County. You've been publicly stating that you voted against it when it first came onto the floor. So if you could go further in depth in that exactly, you know, what are your thoughts on it? What, are, what changes need to be made, if, if any, uh, to the bail reform law? Well, I'm going to give one example about the bail reform. So, uh, you know, I'm going to come forward. My father was a police officer. My family members are police officers. And I don't think anybody should languish in jail. I think that no one should languish in jail. However, when we see uh, what happened in Sullivan County, when we had a gentleman that set one fire, a second fire, and then we go to a third fire. And then my uh, next door neighbor, a, a block up the street, Billy, lost his life that night in the cold. He came out, went out in the cold, freezing weather, and he lost his life. And I think that we need judicial discretion. I think that we need to open mental health beds. They have closed them and closed them and closed them. If we think that the general, uh, a man or a woman has mental health issues, they need to be uh, hospitalized and evaluated. And you know what? The in and out didn't work. And honestly, I, I do believe that some people that uh, – some people should not languish in jail for something as minor as you know, I, you know, a minor infraction that they didn't get their uh, their their something renewed on their license or something they forgot to do it. But in a in a case where you know you see somebody that could be a violent criminal that are, that's a repeat offender, we need to have bail. We need to have bail. And it's not always about languishing in jail just for the small offenses. It's also languishing in jail for the small amount of cash bail that's needed. Some folks in the community who are get stuck in jail cannot afford the bail, and their life is just really turned for the worse just for months spent in jail. Yeah, um, you know, and I and we understand that. And you know, we elect our judges, and we elect them uh, because we're, we have faith in them. And I do think judicial judicial discretion is important. I think that those that are are you know doing terribly wrong things should be you know I mean should be mandated to jail. I mean it, it, it's it's a decision that we vote for people in the sheriff's department. We vote for people to be judges in our communities, and we should have great faith in them to make a decision that both protects the uh, the, the population but also will look towards that person and do the right thing. When voters go to the polls this November, they have a choice between you and your opponent to represent them in the assembly. Why should voters vote for you over your opponent? I have worked tirelessly for my district. I'm here every day. I am one of the top in the New York State Assembly of passage of two-house legislation. I have brought more taxpayer money back by fighting with those in New York City, et cetera, to make sure this money does come back to our community. I am a healthcare person and I'm chair of mental hygiene and I fight every day for that. I volunteer at the hospital. Um, I'm st we're still doing single bite. I serve the community, whether it be the Federation, um, it's my community. I live here, I love it. I'm here over 40 years. And I've served my community over the last 40 years.
And you well, couldn't that- ask for a stronger woman than me. I've, you know, my husband passed away. I had been behind the scenes with him. I helped, you know, get him elected. And you know what? You know, after he passed away and the seat was open and I had worked diligently with him and I knew what I was doing. And I thought, why not me, a woman? And I fought really hard and I'll continue to fight really hard. Well, we're talking to Aileen Gunther, Assemblywoman for the 100th District. She's seeking re-election this November. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Rabayo. Thank you, Patricio. And here on the local edition, part of our election coverage, we've uh, got a segment from WSKG's Politics Tuesday podcast in Binghamton. Recently sat down with New York Public Radio's Capitol Bureau Chief Karen DeWitt about the gubernatorial campaign in New York. Lee Zeldin is a trailing Governor Kathy Hochul by about 17 points. Conversation starts about how the campaigns are responding to that Siena poll. Hochul is certainly using the power that comes with her office to uh, gain a good publicity for herself and control the message. She's been all around the state giving out grants that were part of the state budget that she worked out with the legislature. Even this week, she was announcing completion of track work on the Long Island Railroad, taking a lot of credit for that. That was a project started by her predecessor, former Governor Andrew Cuomo, but since she's governor now, she gets to take credit for that happening and happening um, earlier than than scheduled. Um, at the same time, she's limiting questions from the media. She doesn't necessarily want to get off onto different topics. She wants her message of the day. And she's only agreed to one debate with her one opponent, uh, Republican Long Island Congressman Lee Zeldin. So, you know, speaking of uh, former Governor Andrew Cuomo, certainly a controversial figure, um, Hochul has learned a lot, I think, from her predecessor about how to control the message and how to get out what you want the public to think of you more than, um, you know, maybe uh, what the media might be wanting to talk about or other topics that might be not as pleasant. And in your experience, is this a pretty normal uh, kind of strategy for an incumbent governor in a in at this point in in October in a governor's race? I don't know what's normal in New York State. That's <laughs> that's a hard question. But certainly, she has the discipline. I think that Cuomo had maybe some of the governors before that didn't quite have that in the same way. But she certainly has the discipline to stay on message use the power of her office. And um, yeah, the other thing I should mention, she also has plenty of money to control the message right. on uh, television ads and, and and that. And, you know, we've seen that, that the one, the candidates that are ahead are usually the ones that have far more campaign money to spend than do the, their opponents. Mm-hmm. And it, am I correct? And this is your, your ninth gubernatorial election as an Albany co- correspondent? I wish you hadn't counted. But yes, I'll take your word for it. Yes, I've seen a lot of them. I've seen a lot of them. And they all have their twists and turns, and they're all very interesting. Right. So uh, I'm curious, and, and you've seen a number of different approaches on the Republican side uh, with Republican candidates, and all of those were, were failed with the exception of, of George Pataki. How do you assess Lee Zeldin's approach compared to other Republican gubernatorial campaigns of the past? Well, he doesn't have a lot of money. He doesn't have a lot of name recognition. That's always hard. But I think he has an even bigger problem because of changes in the Republican Party nationally. 
It's become the party of former President Donald Trump. And Trump is an unpopular and controversial figure in New York State. And there's even a lot of the kind of old school Republicans in New York who aren't really fans of Trump. But Zeldin's got to please that base, the, the people who like Trump and who are very conservative on issues like guns and abortion. And some may even falsely believe that the 2020 election was stolen. So he needs to keep them. But he also needs to branch out to independents and even Democrats if he wants a path to win. And that's very hard because he is starting off with positions that, uh, yeah, a lot of Democrats, some independents might think are just a little bit too out there on the right for them. Right. And one one of those uh, that's at the top of voters' mind, and we've seen some polling to suggest this, and, you know, you, you can't watch Sunday football without seeing an ad um, about how abortion is playing into this race. Do you ever remember a singular issue dominating a gubernatorial campaign or any campaign, really, as much as we've seen abortion play a role in, in messaging, especially on the side of Democrats um, ahead of the, the midterms here? Well, I do remember Pataki's uh, winning race in 1994. It was actually on two issues, death and taxes, we called it, because he wanted to reinstate the death penalty. He thought New York's uh, taxes were too high. And now he was a very disciplined candidate and it worked. He won on those issues. It just seems like this uh, election cycle, the timing of the Dobbs decision, the, the U.S. Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, just really changed the political landscape because um, whether you agree with the decision or not, it took away a right that more, that more than half the population have had for almost 50 years. So that's really made a big change. And certainly Democrats are going to use that issue to try to help them in the midterms. Mm -hmm. All right. Karen, thank you much for your reporting and all of your work. And I, I, I wish you the best of luck as we, we grind out a few weeks here. Once again, that was uh, New York State Public Radio's Karen DeWitt of the Bureau Chief for the Capitol talking to 